0: sure is good to have a slew of children, isn't it? If you will, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're taking a detour today for Father's Day. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Um, if, uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we'd love to provide you one. You'll find a Bible just like this uh, on the table outside, the, uh, right by the door when you came in. So please feel free to take one of those with you. We have a few Bibles in front of you. And uh, the page number is listed on the outline if you're having trouble finding it. So um, I would ask that each of us have a a copy of God's Word open before us as we look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll read the whole thing. Hear now the Word of the Lord. Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob to give you, with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, And by his name you shall swear. You shall not go out after other gods, the gods of the people who are around you. For the Lord your God and in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. You shall not put the Lord your God to test as you tested him at Massah. You shall diligently keep the commandments of the Lord your God and his testimonies and his statutes which he has commanded you. And you shall do what is right and good in the sight of the Lord, that it may go well with you, and that you may go in and take possession of the good land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers by thrusting out all your enemies before you, as the Lord has promised. When your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall indeed stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that you have revealed yourself to us. That you have revealed yourself most fully through Jesus. We pray that by your spirit you would help us this morning to understand Give us eyes to see, Lord, and ears to hear, that we might respond in faith. So now, Lord, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and Lord, we ask it. Amen. You cannot overestimate the impact of a godly father. The impact of a godly father cannot be overestimated. A godly father who knows and teaches passes on and models the truth for his children. The Bible teaches male leadership throughout the Word, both in the home and the church. In the church, if men are ordained and called by the Lord, they alone are called to serve the Lord as officers and pastors, to teach, to shepherd, to love the flock. But in the home, too, we are all called as men, if we are married, to to lead our families to lay down our lives uh, for our wives, even as Christ laid down His life for the church. We are called especially to, to teach, and to model, and to, to love, love the truth, and to share it with our kids, to lead them, to, to set the spiritual tone of the family, the atmosphere of the home. We are called to lead. We can never overestimate the impact of a a godly father in a home. None of us are perfect. Lots of us, all of us, every one of us is going to make lots of of mistakes. and Lots of of failures. Praise the Lord. He uses fallen fathers, forgiven, redeemed by the grace of God, walking with him to impact the next generation for the Lord. A godly father makes all the difference in the world in a home. And we certainly can argue this from the, from the negative now, right? As we look around and we see the impact of a, of a whole generation or generations that are mostly fatherless. And we can see quite clearly the impact. You know, in this day and age, a, a godly father, I believe, is, is even more important than ever. Perhaps at this point we're at a crossroads in our culture, in our country. What's going to happen next, we don't know. And, and so the role of a godly father is all the more important, not just of little kids, but even of grown kids. Deuteronomy 6 finds us at a similar moment in the history of God's people. We have continuity with the people of the Old Testament. We are God's people. They were God's people. They were in a similar situation that I feel like we are in today, where the role of a godly father is even more important. See, Deuteronomy 6 finds us with the people of God on the far side of the Jordan River. They've been wandering around for 38 years now in the wilderness. They've been redeemed out of the house of slavery, of Egypt, not by their might, not by their power, but by God's grace alone. He had redeemed them. He made them a nation. He entered into covenant with them at Mount Sinai, And yet they had responded by building, uh, making a golden calf and continuing to to grumble against the Lord and His provision. Several times they will say, uh, was it not because there were enough graves in Egypt that you would bring us out here? And indeed when the spies went into the promised land to check it out, to see how awesome the Lord was and how great this land they were giving, that God was giving them really was, all but two came back in unbelief and said that we will never be able to conquer this land. And as a result, God cursed that generation. And all those 20 years of age or older, male, those who had, who had been um, enrolled in the census at the beginning of the, cha- of the book of Numbers, they were required to die off before people could enter in the promised land. This has happened just a few left, waiting to die off. Moses has not died yet. He's, he's giving a series, I think, of five sermons before they will go into the promised land to prepare them of what is going to happen, to prepare them to go into the land of promise. Because, see, things are about to change. Things are fluid. No longer will they have the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day. No longer will they have the manna and the quail to provide for them on a daily basis. The longer they have Moses as their leader, they were at a crossroads. And and godly fathers, godly parents, were more important than ever. Because they were about to go into a land and take possession of a land full of houses. Nice, nice houses. Full of of really nice furniture. With cisterns full of water. Cisterns they didn't dig. And and olive trees, which take between 3 and 12 years to produce fruit. All over a land flowing with milk and honey. How would the kids know what had happened? Would they just wake up one day and know, "Hey, this is great. We deserve all this." So they needed their fathers, godly fathers, to know the truth of what had, what had happened to Israel and their own story, and to pass along the truth and even to model the truth, so that the next generation would know would know the Lord, know what it means to be a believer and even to be able to remain in the land. And I feel like we are in a similar situation in our time and space here, where we are in history. But the need for godly fathers is perhaps as great now as it ever has been. And so using this text, I want to point out the the call for godly fathers to know the truth, and to pass on the truth, to model the truth. To their kids. You can never under, overestimate the impact of a godly father. Well, the first thing is that, that a godly father must uh, convey or must know the truth if he is in turn to convey it. Look, if you will, at verse 4. This is what's called the great Shema. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And just like we might know John 3.16 from the earliest of ages, so every Hebrew child would have known this as soon as he could speak. For this was at the essence of what it meant to be a Hebrew. In the midst of, of Egypt with over 2,000 gods, 2,000 gods, the Lord is one. You shall not follow after those gods. You shall not follow after the gods of of the when you go into the promised land, the the gods of the Canaanites. The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, is Yahweh. This is God's name. Our God has a name and it is Yahweh. The Lord, Yahweh, is one and he is our God. He who made all things, the one true living God, he is my God and he is your God. If you know him. We must know the truth. You can never overestimate the impact of a godly father who knows the truth. And as godly fathers instruct and guide their kids, they must know the truth so they can count, uh, um, uh, identify a counterfeit. Uh, if, you, if you take out your bulletin and feel it, I don't know if you've noticed this, but the last several weeks, we've had paper of an inferior quality. Finally, we're back to the gold standard. It was the same color. It was the same size, but we had gotten the the order had been mixed up. And it was a lighter and flimsier paper. And do you know the only way that Ryan knew this is she was uh, folding the hundred-some-odd bulletins? Because she knew what the real thing felt like. And she knew this isn't right. This isn't right. we got to get on this. And so because of that, we have our right bulletins once again. It just feels really good, doesn't it? Uh, Here's the thing. We can never identify things that aren't the truth unless we know the truth. As our kids are encountering things that, that perhaps you or I did not encounter until much later in life, or maybe not at all. We may not have had experience with each and every one of those things, but because we know the feel of the truth, We can help them. And we teach them to know the feel of the truth. So they might say, you know, I don't know what's wrong with that. But I know it's not right. The only way that's going to happen is if we as godly fathers know the truth. And are walking with the Lord daily. Because here's the thing. It's not just enough to know the truth in our heads. We must internalize it, right? What's that old line? uh, You can be in 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 a garage and not be a car? You can be in a church and not a Christian. You can know the Word, but not know the Word, the Lagos, Christ. Verses 5 and 6, you shall love the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command today shall be on your heart, not just your head, on your heart. He's going to echo this again in in Deuteronomy ten sixteen, where he commands the people before even he commands them to be circumcised physically, to circumcise their hearts, to cut away the foreskin of their heart, to to turn to the Lord in repentance, to know know the Lord their heart. See, kids are perceptive, aren't they? And man, kids just will repeat anything you say. <laughs> We've discovered that one several times. Christy's recently said, well, where'd you learn that, Thomas? Daddy. <laughs> um, we must internalize it. Kids are uh, pick up on insincerity. Even more and more with this next generation, they're saying that sincerity and being genuine is uh, more and more important. Uh, and the only way that's going to happen is if we internalize the truth. But here's the thing, we can only internalize the truth if we have experienced the truth. And ultimately the truth that sets us free. We read in verse 21 uh, when, uh, when, when, when the young'uns ask the parents, the dads, okay, why are we doing all this stuff? It says, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt. And the Lord, Yahweh, brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. See, they knew the deliverance they'd had at the hand of God. Do you know the deliverance that comes from Christ alone? Because here, here we find in John eight thirty two that we are called to know the truth and what? The truth shall set you free. Christ will set you free. And he alone will set you free. And don't you know our kids pick up on the fact if we've been set free or not. We have to know the truth spelled J-E-S-U-S. That you didn't know you could spell truth that way, did you? John 14, 6 tells us that Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the truth. And you can never overestimate the impact of a godly father who has been set free and who knows the truth because he knows Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Well, The second thing we see is that we are called as godly fathers to pass on the truth pass on the truth. You can never overestimate the impact of a godly father who passes on the truth to his children. And so we can see in this text three different times and places in which uh, we are called to pass on the truth. And the first is when we initiate. We don't wait. We we initiate as fathers and mothers too, but fathers as we initiate the teaching of our children about the Lord. Look at verse 7. You shall teach them diligently to your children and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. In the days of um, uh, warfare and ships powered by sail, these great naval warships, sailing warships, uh, there are two ways mainly to fight. And the first was you would get several hundred yards from each other, perhaps closer, depending on what kind of cannons you're using, and you would duke it out. With your cannons, and the larger the ship, the heavier the cannons, and the more cannons they could carry, and so they would definitely have uh, the advantage. In fact, there was one one Spanish ship that had 140 cannons aboard. Uh, that's a lot of lead coming at you, a lot. You don't want to be on the other side. Or iron, I think they use. You don't want to be on the other side of that of that broadside. When, when 70 at a time, 70 on one side, 70 on the other, 70 are coming at you. But the other way was you would come close and you would lash on to the other, other ship and, and you would send boarders over and your, your uh, cannons would be abandoned and everybody would grab a, a pick or an axe or a sword or a knife or a pistol and you would board and you'd duke it out, hand-to-hand combat, on the decks of the other ship. Now, a good captain always had a barrel full of swords on his deck when you're going into battle. And he made sure they were sharpened so that when the time came to board, they could just be pulled out of the barrel, sharpened, ready to go. You're preparing the men for combat. This word that is translated here, teach diligently. It's the only place in all of Scripture is translated like this. Elsewhere, everywhere else, it is translated as to wet or sharpen a sword or arrow in preparation for battle. When we teach our children, we are preparing them, we are sharpening them for the battle that they will face. One day, they will have to go out into the world. And they will face battle. And now is the time. To sharpen them, not when battle is joined. But the second thing we see in verses 10 through 12 is that we are called to guide them. As godly fathers, we are called to guide them as life comes at them. You know, um, if you were to watch a documentary, especially one without video, uh, just pictures, you know, they kind of float across the screen. Another one floats across the screen. If you're to watch a documentary without a narrator, it would be really hard to make any sense of what's going on. In fact, it's possible that you would make even tragic assumptions or judgments based on the facts of what you see before you. Without a narrator, you cannot make sense of what's going on. And so in a sense, fathers, we are called to serve as narrators for our kids. As guides to our kids. As they look out in their world and things are mighty strange and bad, and as bad things happen to them, how are they to interpret what they are seeing? We are not meant to let them understand it on their own. We are called to help them and guide them. To provide for them, help provide for them a biblical worldview of, of this is what's going on. So we, so we teach them on the front ends, prepare repair them on a daily basis. Where we're taking those teaching moments. But then, as things come up, we take those times to instruct, and to guide. The third thing is that we respond to their questions. And we see this in verses 20 to 25. But starting in verse 20, we read this. We see, When your son asks you in time, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, I hope I've got something to say to my son at that point. I have to know the truth in order to have something to say. I may not know all the answers, but I know the one who does. And I know where to go. You can never overestimate the impact of a godly father who knows the truth because it's been internalized in his heart and seeks to pass it on to his kids. Now, it's not a 100% formula. It's not that if you do X, Y, and Z, then your child is, is for sure all the time going to walk with the Lord all the days of his life. But normally that's how the Lord works. And don't you know that even if your child goes out in this world and is no longer walking with him, don't you know he has a foundation that the Lord can use to draw him back? The Lord is good. And he will bring to mind those things which you have taught him. Third, we are called to model the truth. Model the truth. In the days of sailing vessels, there was no... Sailor's Academy. There was no school you would go to to learn how to be a sailor. How did you learn how to be a sailor? You went and you became a sailor. And often the ships were manned by landsmen, those who had never set sh- uh, foot on ship before. And so these, these gangs of, of sailors would go out commissioned by uh, the captain with a lieutenant and with a stick that they would impress or draft or perhaps just steal them. Uh, And they would go on board ship and serve for years and perhaps never even coming back. And how did they learn? They learned as they watched the other sailors how to hand-reef and steer, how to to be an able seaman. Do you know, I think our kids, they watch us, don't they? They watch us. And we are called to model godliness for them. And we see this throughout our text Perhaps we even catch more than we are taught as we watch, as our kids watch us on a daily basis. But you know, I think the greatest thing that we can model, holiness and service to the Lord, obedience, these are all things in this text. But I think the greatest thing that we can model to our kids is love and specifically an understanding of the gospel. Now, we can't model the gospel itself because the, the gospel is a statement that Christ has come to die for his people and to renew all things. You cannot model a statement, but you can model an understanding of the statement. We model the, an understanding of the gospel to our children after when we discipline them, we remind them of God's love of them and our love for them. We model an understanding of the gospel when we refuse to let sports and hobbies and other abilities define ourselves or our children, but instead define our identity in Christ. We, we model an understanding of the gospel when we ask for the forgiveness of our children when we mess up. We model an understanding of the gospel when we love our wife and our children not based on their performance, but upon Christ. A father models an understanding of the gospel when his children fail him, and yet he is quick to forgive because he's been forgiven. A father models an understanding of the gospel when he sorrows over the lost and is burdened with the salvation of others. A father models an understanding of the gospel when he looks not to this world for hope, but instead to his true home, heaven, and the God who dwells there. But all this is based upon the fact that we can never overestimate the love of our Heavenly Father. We can never overestimate, we can never plumb the depths of, we can never fully understand the love of our Heavenly Father. For what Father would send His perfect, holy and righteous Son into this world to be spat upon? to be beaten, to be bruised, and to die. And what father even would go beyond that and, and not allow just the, the Romans and the Jews to kill his son, but according to Acts, it is God who killed Jesus. So that we might have salvation. How can we understand the love of of our Heavenly Father, that He would do this for us. And that when I fail to be a good father to Thomas and soon to Lizzie, that He forgives me. And He uses even my failures for the blessings of my children. All this is based upon the love of our Father. Is God your Father? John 1 tells us, But all who did receive Jesus, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. This is our God that He did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we cannot fully understand your love for us, though we are so thankful. We are so thankful that you, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, you sent your Son to die on a cross for us, that you might make us righteous, that you might make us yours. You might adopt us into your family. And Father, we are thankful for what that means. That we have the hope and the full certainty of a great future with you. And we know that even now our Father will never leave us. And he will never forsake us. And he will be with us every step of the way. But Father, we thank you. And we give you praise in the name of your Son and our Savior. Amen. Our final hymn we sing of God's faithfulness.